Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand just a little more about how the other side thinks. This episode is a little bit different than our usual back and forth. What you hear today is a live recording of a presentation that Kevin and I gave at the first Government Contract Pricing Summit in San Diego that was sponsored by our friends at ProPricer. The topic is targeting in the government market, and the audience is a mixture of industry and government professionals who work in the pricing world. Remember, this is a live recording, so it comes with its fair share of echoes, mic bumps, and other awkward moments. So here we go with our conversation about targeting at the Government Contract Pricing Summit. Let's get started. Who we are. We both spent 15 or so years on the government side as contracting officers. I spent 15 years as an Air Force civilian working for the Air Force, working at the National Reconnaissance Office, still for the Air Force. Then I transitioned over to the industry side, worked for a very small company that got bought by a medium-sized company that got bought by a very large company, which leads me where I am today, Vice President of Contracts for CACI. And Kevin. So I, I spent 16 years as a contracting officer for the Air Force and also Special Operations Command. And about five years ago, I got this harebrained idea of starting a consulting firm that specializes as former contracting officers helping people figure out this market. And that's what Skyway is. So the next slide shows you why we're specifically here today, is that we're both hosts of, or co-hosts and co-founders of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Any of you listen to podcasts? A couple of them. Any chance you've come across this micro-niche podcast? (laughs) Yeah, it's so, exactly what you're looking for. It's government contracting to listen to while you're driving to work, right? The best way to stay awake is to listen to people talk about government contracts. So what do you listen to? Comedy, self-help kind of stuff? What's the what's your podcast? Who raised their hand? It's gotta be one. Ted Talks. Ted Talks. Great okay. stuff. Listen to Obama on Mark Marin. Anybody? It's <laughs> a good one. So we've we've put out 84 episodes now. There's one a week, and there are all kinds of different topics. So you pull out your iPhone iPhone has an, a, a podcast app. Type in contracting officer, you will find us. Despite the very confusing name, it's not just for contracting officers. It's by former contracting officers. But the whole goal of the thing is to help industry and government people understand each other a little better, understand what they think, how they think, how they go about their jobs. Because we both got a big eye-opener when we stepped to the industry side. And as a CEO, we did horrible things to the government or the industry contracts people and the industry pricing people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually had to send some apology emails after I'd been on the industry side for a little while to like some of the industry people that I had tortured along the way, right? So why do government people ask you to give an Excel file with all the formulas and then cut and paste those into pictures in a Word document in 9,000 different ways that no one's ever going to look at? Right? That's the kind of stuff that we didn't understand. We're trying to help everyone by getting the word out. Thus, the Contracting Officer Podcast, we're actively looking for better names. <laughs> so this is how much we're going to cover today. It's the tip of the iceberg. And the reason that we talk about this is there's a lot of stuff from the Contracting Officer perspective, from pricing, from all the policy, all the stuff below the waterline is stuff we can't control. So we focus on what we can control. And targeting is a big part of what you can control. And that's why we talk about that today. So the baseline. The brutal truth here is... Not everybody thinks your company is worth calling. 
That's just a fact, right? Random example for you. There is a company that makes the wiring for the lights that go into the top of an aircraft in the, in the cabins. When I worked on a, in a commercial aircraft program when I was with the Air Force, that is a company I cared about. Now, I don't even think about it. You walk onto a plane, the lights work. Hey, cool, right? You don't see value in that. There's a thousand examples like that. This is why targeting is so important. There are people in this audience who probably think the contracting officer podcast is useless to them because they don't see the value of the contracting officer's perspective. That's okay. You're not our target audience. Understand that not everybody's going to see value in it. That's why targeting is such a vital factor, and that's why it's worth talking about. And not everything's an opportunity. The reality is, hit the button, man, you're killing me here. There you go. Most <laughs> things aren't an opportunity. And there's this thing called the rule of 99. And there, I actually got this from a book, uh, and I think it, was, it wasn't by Steve Jobs, but it was about a lot of the logic behind Apple, is being successful isn't picking one thing and doing it over and over and over. It's saying 99 things and saying no to them. There are so many things you could do, and you have to pick the ones that you're going to do and then avoid the ones you're not going to do. And again, this is such, a, such an underappreciated value of, of targeting. As a contracting officer, the reason that we're talking about this is so many proposals we got that weren't targeted. You found it on FBO, it's something you could do. We're going to talk in a few minutes about what an ideal target market looks like and why that's such a big deal. Because if you do it poorly, the government team thinks, why are they sending me this? I have to evaluate it even though it's not targeted. It's going to suck up my time. It's wasting their time. All of those things are happening, and a lot of times you don't even know it. So, so there's a question about. from the government side. The government wants you to target, right? No contracts person, no government acquisition person wants to evaluate 30 proposals that can't win. Why don't they communicate more? Why don't they help you target? Trying to help. <laughs> Trying to help educate. We didn't understand. We know there's lots of other folks that don't. So the, the beauty of this understanding of targeting is that you're always competing in the government market. As a contracting officer, you're competing, actually in industry in general, in business in general, you're competing against three things. They're going to pick you, they're going to pick your competitor, them, right? Or they're going to do nothing. And even if you have a sole source contract, even if you're just doing a modification to the contract that you have to price, they have a choice of doing nothing. So your targeting is what will move them to pick one of these three. Of course, you want them to pick your strategy, right? And it's another reason that targeting makes such a big difference. You're always competing. I, I, and again, as a contracting officer, I see that a lot of times people come to me and say, well, this is a sole source contract. I'm not competing. Unless it's an absolute need and it's like some part of a, of a highly critical uh, component that, that Congress said you shall buy this, there's always the option they can do nothing. They might spend their money on something else. Right. Or they may not do something this fiscal year, which creates other issues with color of money and et cetera. So understand that. So, okay, given all that, how do you, how do you win? How do you do this? How do you, how do you target well and actually win these contracts? How do you win government work? Anyone? Anyone? In context of pricing? Yeah. Best value, lowest price. Those are, those are the answers, right? The, the truth is... This is about targeting. You gotta know your customer. If you're not targeting, you're sending out a proposal that price is all that differentiates you. Price how... may be the answer. <laughs> Best value may be the answer. But if you don't know your customer, you don't know if that is the right answer. And I've had several source selections that they obviously didn't target, so it came down to price. The ones that it, they, they did target, and the company who was providing a, a proposal, a solution that was more expensive, could have been 5%. In one case, it was 40%. I couldn't get that far. But the only ones that I could ever justify paying a higher price 
were the ones that were well targeted. So I can give you story after story of why this is such a big deal and it's worth spending hours. So what about. is well targeted? They need to be looking for you, as opposed to the other half of this slide, which is you're waiting in line to talk to them. And so I'll give you the story. As a contracting officer, I'm sitting at my desk. I get an email from someone that says, hey, I'd, I'd like to sell you software. I even got caught on the phone. This is back before caller ID. And caught on the phone with somebody because they sell software. I was a special operations command. I was buying body armor and services for, for training. And I was buying, at the time, I was buying um, vehicles. I wasn't buying software. They targeted SOCOM because SOCOM had money, right? Well, take that same idea and apply it to how when a proposal comes, it's even worse, because now it's just it's a cold call. It's a perception of your company. I can tell you, I can think of five companies off the top of my head that sent me a proposal that wasn't targeted. And to this day, I had to grind through a proposal that I knew they weren't going to win within an hour because it wasn't well targeted. And of course, they may have been lowest price. In some cases, they weren't. But the fact is, they weren't targeted. And that costs you time. So instead of doing this exercise of just throwing darts or standing in line to talk to them, find out where they're looking for you. Think about direct mail. How many times get stuff out of the mailbox, flipping through, and it's about uh, fix my garage door, clean my gutters, new carpet. You don't need any of that. It's all wasted. But when you're looking for someone because you have roach infestation and you see, yes, the roach guy, discounts, I'm in. That's the difference. You're looking for them. It makes it so much easier to make the sale and spamming everybody on the planet with products they don't need. If you don't honestly believe this in the government market, listen to a couple of the podcasts. The market is so massively huge. There's more opportunity than you can ever chase. And we'll even talk through a couple of ways you can dissect it. But believing this, this concept of abundance, of I don't need to chase that, that opportunity is not right for us. Our go-no go strategy needs to be ruthlessly clear on why we're not chasing things. So if, if this picture resonates with you, then you're going to be much more successful in this market. And by the way, you're not going to spam contracting officers with things that aren't necessarily targeted. The government market is so big. The fact that it's so big might be scary, but it's actually easy to target. And anybody ever heard of USA spending? A couple head nods. Okay, th this is a free government site. In fact, if you Google USA Spending Video Skyway, Skyway's my company, I made a free video. Go watch it on YouTube. Shows you how to use this free site. And you can, to a, to a laughable <laughs> level, you can get down to the Nats eyelash of who buys what you sell by NAICS code, by, by congressional district. And it's, it's free, right? And then we also have you know, two podcasts specifically talking about targeting and how to do this. And there's episode 16, which is specifically about targeting. And then episode 68 is called Be the Prize, and it's how you show people that they're coming, make them, make them understand what you do so they're coming to you, so you're the prize. And so let me show you what Be the Prize when you're targeting looks like. So my company is a team of former contracting officers who help companies know more, do more, and win more in the federal market. If that phrase doesn't make you jump out of your seat and want to call us, then you're not our target market. Because you don't inherently, that doesn't click with you. Again, it's okay that lots of people don't see the value in what we do. I did a TEDx talk talking about what a micro niche is, specifically because 99% of people on iTunes don't listen to our podcast. But the 1% Only 99% do, okay, don't listen? Probably more than that. Like <laughs> 99.5. But the ones who do, Keep going. It's, it's their micro niche, right? So that's the idea. Is be the prize. So how do you do that? Well, here are some of the ways you do that. 
is, do you know what your best customer looks like? And the easiest way is you know, look at your sales. <laughs> look at your happy customers. Do more of that, right? And as pricers, you're able to see what, what is the most profitable. What, what, what are the easiest ones to deal with? Which ones had the fewest amount of mods that require me to work nights and weekends repricing things? That's what an easy customer looks like. What are they afraid of? If you don't know, number one, ask them. Or number two, find somebody who knows. And that whole idea, what is your customer afraid of? Not what you think they're afraid of. What, are they, what, what keeps them awake at night? Because that's what solves their problem. And for me as a contracting officer, a lot of times, understanding the pricing, which is, by the way, one of the reasons we're here is we, we're, we're a team with ProPricer. They're one of the sponsors of the podcast. You'll hear that when you listen to it. And one of the challenges we had as government contracting officers is understanding what, how did they come up with this price. I, on, a, on a CPFF contract, unless DCA was involved, I was kind of taking a leap of faith that all these numbers were right. Honestly. That's scary. So give me that context. Okay, That's what I'm scared of as a contracting officer. What are they looking for? Where are they looking for you? And the example would be, are they at this conference? Are they at a different conference? That's a marketing plan, right? But the idea is be there before they get there. That's how you know that you're connected with your customer. That's how you're the prize. When they go looking for you, you're already there. And that, that takes focus. You can't do that for every customer. You have to be targeting them. And of course, then there's this episode of understanding how to be the prize. If you really want to learn about it, it's like 30 minutes of us talking about this. So this is what we're talking about, targeting, right? Targeting ruthlessly is the key. And it's not easy. The most painful part of this is that most people, and I'll probably see some head nods here, will go out of their way to justify not targeting. The direct mail you talked about, the cold calls you get, all the email lists that you get on. I mean, I'm, when I started my company, great example. Of, I didn't know who our target market was. So I was talking to everybody. And a lot of startups do it that way. And, and a lot of companies still do it that way. But the idea is if you're chasing everybody, you're eating up the time, right? And that's what most people do. It's really hard to say no. That 99%, the whole idea of 99% of the deals aren't worth chasing, that's a hard thing to exercise. It, where is price in your, no, in your go, no-go? One of the phrases we talk about is be impatient for profit and patient for growth. So if price is the last thing you talk about, and again, I say this because a lot of proposals I got, I could tell after they'd done the technical approach. Granted, you can't build a price until you've done all the planning, right? But if you don't know early that you can make money on this, is that part of your go no go If you don't understand your customers up front, if you're building the whole proposal and then finding out the price at the end, and then you realize that that's not affordable for this customer set, wasted a lot of time and energy. It matters. And we have a, a tool called the RFP score. And it's 21 questions as former contracting officers that we suggest you answer before you bid. Seven of the 21 questions are affected by price. Because as a contracting officer, I never thought about whether the companies were making money. Most of the time, I didn't even know if I had firm fixed price contracts. And how would I know, right? But now that I'm on the industry side five years later, I'm looking at the things that, that I do that, as a contracting officer that I did that cause them to make or lose money. And that's why th this is important. It's important to understand how those, how those targeting efforts impact your price. So you don't want to be one of those companies that says, we should probably maybe bid on this because I think we can win. If it's not, hell yes, we should be bidding on this, it should probably be, hell no, let's focus on something else that we can win. And again, that's hard because it means you've got to turn down opportunities. 
right? And if you're, you know, you're capture folks, everything's an opportunity to capture, right? That's how they win. So they're more than happy to waste. Sorry if anybody's capture or married to a capture <laughs> manager or anything <laughs> here, but that's how they get incentivized. It's not a bad thing that they do that, but they're more than happy to waste everybody else's time chasing something because that's success for them if they accidentally win something. But it's devastating if chasing that prevents you from chasing something that you really should be going after that you can win. And this means you have to turn down direct work. And let me show you what that looks like. We have a podcast, right? I have a government consulting firm. He works for a large defense contractor. But because we figured out this podcast thing, people come to us and say, hey, can you teach us about podcasting? Can you do podcast consulting? Will that generate revenue? Yes. But that's not our superpower. That's not our target. So I did, and that's direct work. That's not, a, that's not a pie in the sky thing. They actually offered us a contract to do that. And I, you say no. Because you've got to stay focused. And again, that's hard. Pickle is a startup to turn down actual money. But In a big company, it's, it's just as hard, right? The, the senior vice president guys, they, they get bonuses. They get paid off of revenue. When it gets, when the year's ticking by and they're looking how they already lost something they meant to win and they're not going to hit their targets and get their bonuses and all the other good perks, right? They'll chase anything to fill that gap. But are they chasing the right thing? Are they wasting everyone's time to not win? So let's talk about value. You, you hear, okay, well, this all sounds nice, but people are shopping on that LPTA. Um, my, my management won't let me do this. So insert the reason. There's just yes, but exercise, right? So the basic idea is without targeting, you're basically asking to be commoditized. It's a long road between those two sentences, but you get the idea, is that you're, you're setting yourself up for being commoditized. And here's the even scarier part. Without branding and targeting, you, you are. You, all you're bringing is price. You know, Whole Foods, grocery shopping, you know, fancy, fancy food, right? Whole Foods strategy is not, hey, come shop at our grocery store and you can pay a lot more for your groceries there. Does that sound like a great idea? Let's go do that, right? No, no. For Whole Foods to compete with the commodity grocery stores, their branding and targeting links to people that believe in the values that Whole Foods believes in. Therefore, they're allowed to charge a price premium. It's not a race to the bottom. It's not lowest price for your carrots, right? You'll pay more for organic carrots that were loved to death by their farmers. Probably had little bunnies <laughs> running around the whole time, not eating them and all that. It makes you feel good to pay more in that case. And that, that, that does happen in the government market if you answer this question, what's in it for me? As the customer, as the government customer, what's in it for me? Why should I pay more? How do you fill that gap for me? And do I, as the government customer, do I know why I should pay more? And most of the time, if you're not targeting, you're not branding, you're not focusing, you don't speak my language, I don't trust you, I'm not going to pay more. That's how it works, right? So here's the challenge. Do you have five reasons why your customer should pay more? And I, I went through this exercise with my company. I actually came up with 10. But here's the real of trick. Of course you did. Yeah. Here's the <laughs> trick, though. Are they your reasons or are they theirs? Yeah, so Hyundai makes a really nice car called a Genesis, right? It's a luxury car, according to Hyundai. And their reason why you should buy it is because it's a luxury car. But that's their reason. For lots of luxury car buyers, they're never going to accept Hyundai as a luxury car, at least in the United States, right? We want Mercedes or Lexus. We want something not made in the United States, but certainly not... Certainly not a Hyundai. So Hyundai can have all the marketing reasons in the world for entering the luxury car market in the United States. 
but it's just them at this point saying that it's luxury. So how many people work for companies that have a price-to-win organization? Yeah, a couple of those, right? So there's, there's programs and there's contracts. Lots of times pricing folks are a part of that. Some places price-to-win is a completely separate voodoo where they put a bunch of stuff into the box and then they tell you, this is your low price. This is how you win, right? What we're saying is, if you target to win, then you price to win. Because the answer is not always the lowest price. And by the way, <laughs> the argument here is that you're pricing for every unique situation. And every customer, every customer thinks they're unique. And, and if you treat them that way, you're going to be more successful. But Special Operations Command taught me that is that they were a very unique customer. Then I thought back over my career and realized that every, whether it was the, the, the B-1 simulator or the F-16 simulator, it's an aircraft simulator, it's, 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 a six, it's a box, it's not that different. But to that customer, to the pilots, to the program managers, it's inherently different, we're special. And the every more you know about special. that customer, the more they know about you, the easier this is. Price always matters. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you know, price to win is not accurate sometimes, not saying that low price isn't the answer sometimes. Price always matters. But the more you target, the more you can minimize the impact of price. Because not every company wants to be in the type of business where low price is always the winning strategy, right? There's not a lot of profit in we're the lowest price out there. And it's very competitive. So this is one of my, one of my favorite sayings is customers are easier to get just be really good at what you do, right? Well, you insert the just target well in there, and it really starts to make sense. Because if you're doing what you do well, you're going to get more of the same customers. You'll keep the customers you have. But if you target on top of that, that's how people who see you as the prize start coming to you. And now you have the past performance of the other happy customers to build on. So this does work. Targeting I think it's great. Just be good. All your customers will come to you. It's really easy. It's not really easy. It's hard. But if you have ruthlessly targeted down to the segment of customers that are ready to buy your product, that are looking for your product, it gets a lot easier. How do you actually add numbers to this? It'd be quantifying your information. One of my least favorite proposal strategies was, we're the best. We've been in business for 10 years. We're great at this. We have you know, groundbreaking. Give me numbers. Quantifiable numbers. One of my biggest pet peeves as a contracting officer was this quantifiable numbers idea, right? So talk about how you're different. It's easy to talk about how you're different because you've got, you know, you're unique, just like every other organization is, right? But how are you better? And again, in terms of that I care about as the customer. What am I afraid of? What are, remember my five reasons? What are the five reasons that are mine? And then my personal favorite is if you're both. If you can show that you're different and better, because if you're just different, if you're making your own, let me pick one. Um, when I bought, uh, we'll just call it equipment for Special Operations Command. It was made in the facility in, in California, actually. It was a different type of equipment, but it, it wasn't any better. So the price premium didn't make sense. But there was another company whose theirs was different, and it was better. And it was 30% more. And they won the source selection. Because it was different and better in the eyes of the customer. You don't know that if you don't target. You don't know the definition of better if you don't target. And when you hyper-focus, you do fewer things and do them well. Do fewer things, do them well. But most people don't do it, right? And the ones that do do it stick out like diamonds. And they become the prize. 
because you're not distracted by other things. If we just started doing this proposal consulting, or no, sorry, <laughs> if we just started doing the, the podcast consulting, it's a distraction. It's a whole different business model. It's a whole different set of customers. It's also a distraction to your customer. So imagine, this has actually happened a few times. I buy software of, uh, see, this one was for, was for it was software that, that managed simulators. And this company makes, I'm a contracting officer working on a program that's a simulator. This company also makes a, a software that manages, I think it was, um, I think it was for, for vehicle assembly plants. And they knew that we bought vehicles. So now they're trying to show me how they, we can buy this too. Does the government buy that? Yeah, probably. But it's a distraction to me. It's like just because you make this one thing over here and you're trying to insert some other thing that's not related, it's a distraction. So don't distract your customers. Just because you have four or five different capabilities, well, as soon as you get off target and you start saying, oh, we can sell them this and this and this, if it's not what they care about, it's a distraction. And distracted customers get less interested in you because now it just feels like you're selling to them. And learn that. <laughs> Again, I didn't see that as clearly until I got out. So shot selection is the phrase that's very popular in the industry side right now, right? We probably should have put up a picture of LeBron and recognition of Cleveland finally winning. My wife's from Cleveland, so yeah, we kind of... It's a big thing in our house right now. Right, same thing. If you don't choose your shots well, then you're Steph Curry and you lose. But... <laughs> It also wastes a tremendous amount of resources, right? I talked before about Capture. Capture and BD, right? They're out there to win stuff. They get incentivized to win, win, win. So they're willing to try to win anything because a lot of the work is done by other people. The bid and proposal costs involved in a losing bid are the same as a winning bid, right? From the industry side, if you put in a a bid on a big competition... There could be lots of back and forth before the government makes a decision. It requires time and energy. And if you lose, then you have to decide whether you're going to protest, you attend a post-award debriefing, you try to tell your boss why it was the government's fault that they didn't understand what you're talking about, and it's not our fault that we lost. But if you're on the government side, it's the same thing. You know, We were talking before about trying to make this, each side understand each other a little better. The government doesn't want to evaluate bids they can't win. It's government resources. This is our taxpayer dollars at work here. i got to fix that mic. It's our taxpayer dollars at work here. The government spends a tremendous amount of time in source selection. Every, they have to evaluate every bid or at least get started according to whatever their source selection plan is. Tremendous amount of time, money, energy spent evaluating proposals that don't have a chance to win. You should really know before you bid whether you have a chance to win. And, and that's another, this is, this is going to sound like sour grapes, but trust me, this is happening. Contracting officer gets your proposal. It's not targeted. They're kind of frustrated at the fact that they have to evaluate it, knowing you're not going to win. Is that fair? No. But these are people doing the work, right? And, and, they, and in some cases, I can think of two that I had. I remember the name of those companies. Because <laughs> it's, again, Special Operations Command 2009, buying armored vehicles to send to really nefarious places. I don't have time to evaluate stuff that's not a fix. So just as a heads up. You hold a grudge that long. That's yeah, awesome. I do. I, again, people. People doing the work. The reason every second counts is on there is whether you're a startup, you're a small business, or a large business. Time is the ultimate equalizer in business. And every time you're chasing a opportunity that's not right for you, that you're not going to win, or for that matter, you're not going to make money on, if you don't know those three things, you're, you're losing seconds that your competitors aren't. And... That's how, so I say this because 
this is sometimes how you can convince people who, who are farther up the chain than you that are like, well, we still have to go after this. What if we treat this like every second counts? Because it does. What's the opportunity cost of chasing this instead of the next bid down the road? And so one of, one of my uh, add-ins that from, from a marketing perspective, David Ogilvy, and you guys familiar with David Ogilvy by chance? Years ago, decades ago, wrote this idea. But great marketing just makes a, a great, a really bad product fail faster. Because the logic, if it's not solving a problem somebody cares about, if it's not solving their problem, and, and a great example with this is emails. Email marketing, if they're selling you something you don't need, like I love the direct mail because it's such an obvious example. If it's not solving a problem that you have, you don't care. So it makes them dislike you that much faster. If you really work hard to get in front of them to tell them something that they don't need to know or, or care about, you're wasting their time and they remember it. So instead of that, look at this from a great pricing perspective is without targeting, you're more likely to lose on price faster. It's the same model. Because if you price well, but you're not targeted well, the price that you'll have to use to win, and I'm sorry, the price you'll have to use to perform is not the same as the price you're going to have to give them to win. And that's how you end up losing on price. And again, I've seen proposals that I know that what you can do doesn't match what we need. And then I've seen ones that say, okay, you didn't target this, therefore you don't understand the nuance of our requirement, so you're overpricing this. Or for my, my favorite was you're underpricing it so much, I don't believe you can do it for that. And your branding doesn't convince me that you can. When you're putting together your price, do you know whether this customer, best value, you know, that's, that's the, the fear for industry. What is best value to this customer? Are they really looking for the top technical performance? Are they looking for the low price? If you don't have an idea of which, where in that best value continuum you need to fall, you can fail before you even start. Because the evaluation team opens the proposal, and they see you're the lowest price, and the reason you're the lowest price is because value-wise, you're much lower than they're really looking for, even though they didn't quite explain that in the RFP well enough. So I mentioned before, what's your ideal target market? And this is a simple Venn diagram to kind of lay it out, but you're all familiar with what your reachable market is. Reachable market is everything you could do. All the NAICS codes that your company has, multiply, go to USA Spending, type in all those NAICS codes, gives you a ridiculously huge number. That's your reachable market. That's everything in the world you could possibly do. Your target market is the things that are your, your small business set-asides. Are they, they in, in, inside the state where you have employees? Are they in, in the agencies that you're already targeting because you have contracts? That, you know, whatever, the ones you can actually win. The part that's missing for a lot of people is understanding what your weight class is. And again, Podcast 16 talks about this in detail. There's a list of questions to ask. But your weight class is the things that you can do without derailing your company. Can you handle four proposals at once or just three? Can you handle a $100 million contract? Can you handle a 50-employee contract when you're a five-employee company? Or a 500-employee company or a contract when you're only a 50-employee company? Or can you manufacture 50 of these products in a week when the government suddenly drops a task order for that many? Which I did that once, and I, I was surprised the company couldn't deliver when their proposal said that they could. Because their, their proposal was based on a whole bunch of stars aligning. And again, I remember the name of that company because they created a lot of drama for me because I wasn't able to deliver for my customer because they were out of their weight class. And again, I didn't know it. So in theory, yeah, they won. Yay! But they didn't perform well, so they didn't win the next one. So the intersection of the target market and the reachable market is, that's the planning part, right? What, what can we possibly chase that we have a chance on winning? But when you add that weight class to it, that's where you get, are we actually going to be able to execute this? So 
had a source selection for wiring harnesses for some kind of cargo plane. One of the proposals, the company said that they were going to build it in basically a converted chicken coop on his property, right? So they're going to, it's just a little soldering, stringing out some wires, binding them together, right? So they lost. That was a little bit, chicken coop company was a little bit below their weight class to do this. They lost to a company that had an actual factory, not a fancy factory, a glorified warehouse with actual tooling in there to do the job, right? So understanding this up front, Mr. Chicken Coop could have saved some time and energy submitting a proposal if he'd spent a little more time targeting and maybe talked to the acquisition office and found out that they thought that manufacturing in factories was a little better than manufacturing in converted chicken coops. So here are three questions to ask. Where are we profitable now and why? And there's a really great step toward your targeting. That's your target market. If places are already making money. The second thing is make sure it fits. Targeting ruthlessly is hard. Turning down opportunities is hard. It's not easy to say no to things. It's human nature most of the time to say, yeah, we can do that. Had somebody email me because they manufacture a product and a $90 million contract came out for manufacturing this project. They asked me to help them write their proposal for this $90 million contract. They had seven employees. And they were about 20, uh, maybe 25, $2.5 million in revenue. The very first thing I'm going to say as a contracting officer when I get the proposal is they're out of their weight class. But they don't know that because they didn't have a targeting plan. Now, that's an extreme example to make the point. But is that happening in your organization? Are you looking at things going, okay, we can do that, but where's our weight class? What, what's going what's to cause us to be distracted, to distract our customer, to not perform well in these other contracts because we're pulling resources? All of those things. So having a targeting plan and sticking to it, in simple terms, it will make the difference. So you heard me mention this before. Be impatient for profit and patient for growth. And you hear lots of stories of you know, Amazon, all these mass, massively successful companies that did the opposite. Okay, I get that. But understand, they're like 1%. Most companies in business, this is how they, they roll. Win a $2 million contract that has 10% profit 100 times versus a $100 million contract that, oh, we'll make it up on volume. If you're not, pre- and, and again, I'm saying this as a former contracting officer who saw a company saying, oh, I want to chase this giant contract because if we win it and the stars align, in the fifth year, we'll make money. I never knew that was happening. I didn't understand that the pricing system we had built into the RFP was going to create that problem. So if you're targeting, you have the relationship with that agency to tell them this is the problem you're creating. That's why all three of these are so important. And there's actually been a move lately, at least in the industries that I live in, where despite government budgets that are shrinking, the government is price sensitive in the opposite direction. Low price is no longer what they're looking for because they've had too many experiences with companies looking to grow and not to maintain any profitability like Kevin said to somewhere in the fifth year after we've greened the workforce twice we're going to actually make money right so what the government ends up with is a big contract that contractors can't staff can't find the people to do the work because they've bid too low because they're trying to grow out of their weight class too fast Another great example of this is the dot-com boom. It's kind of getting dated now. That was years ago. But how many companies in Silicon Valley got millions of dollars in investment money and grew very, very quickly and then went right out of business because there was no 
business model that supported profit at any point. But everybody gets real excited for growth because it looks good. And you be very careful you're not wasting your energy. Okay, that was our presentation on targeting at the Government Contract Pricing Summit. We're going to make sure we record all of our speaking engagements in the future, and with any luck, we'll get some audio that's good enough to share as part of the podcast. You can connect with us through the Contracting Officer Podcast Network Group on LinkedIn and the Government Contracting Network Group on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today.